You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio, 855am. My name's James Whitmore and it's Sunday the 23rd of August. Listen to our show, head to our website www.3cr.org.au forward slash radio blue and follow our Facebook page Out of the Blue Radio for updates. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land this show is created on, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. In today's show, we're going to be talking all about plastics. I spoke to a researcher who's just done a really interesting paper on microplastics in seafood. And later in the show, we're going to be talking to the founder of the movement, Plastic Free July. We'll be right back after this announcement. So, here you are. Too foreign for home. Too foreign for here. Never enough for both. Ijuoma Umebinyo. Diaspora Blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong? And how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Busto and Bigwa every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced by Jan. You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Now we all know plastic is terrible for the environment and many of us have seen those horrible photos of seabird skeletons full of plastic. Many of us are worried about microplastics, those tiny little pieces of plastic in the environment that we can't necessarily see, but we don't actually know that much about it. Francisca Ribeiro is a PhD candidate at the University of Queensland, and she's just published a paper on microplastics in seafood. They looked at seafood like sardines and oysters and prawns, and they found microplastic in all of it. But Francisca says that this doesn't mean that we should stop eating seafood. I spoke to Francisca to find out more. Uh, microplastics are particles that are less than five millimeters in length. Um, the, and it doesn't matter what shape they are. So they can be fibers, microbeads, irregular fragments. Um, and they are usually, um, they usually break down from bigger plastics. So with weathering from um, you know, the environment itself, the, the UV light uh, breakdown by animals, they tend to get smaller until they reach the, the, the size that it's the one uh, that it's specified as microplastics. And it can be any kind of plastic, really. So, Francisco, we know that microplastics are in seafood. Um, that's been established in other work. Can you just tell us what you did in this study? Yeah, sure. Um, so... As you said, we know that microplastics is in seafood, but until now we were only testing the digestive tissues, so the gut of the animals. So we knew they were ingesting, but we didn't know how much was in the edible part. So that's what we tested here. We developed a new method that allow us to quantify plastic in the edible portions, so what we eat from the species tested. Yeah, and you found, so um, from your study, I saw that you found that sardines, for instance, have 0.3 milligrams per gram of sardine. 
it sounds like a small concentration. Is this something we should be worried about? Um, not for now, no. Uh, so at this point, uh, we don't know what it means. Uh, so we don't know if there's a risk or not. And more than that, we don't know where that contamination is coming from. Um, because it can be simply just from um, transporting the fish from the fish shop um, to the location where we are going to prepare it, for instance. Or it can just be from the utensils we use in our kitchen. So if we can avoid that, at least for now, trying to avoid as much as we can to use plastic, um, it would be a start, but I can say that it is a risk to human health at the moment. Mm, that's really interesting. So you're saying it doesn't necessarily get into the fish through the fish eating it. Exactly. Um, because there are no studies until now that prove that there is translocation uh, from the guts to the tissues. Um, so, yeah, so because it's not proven, I can say that. Uh, our guess at the moment is that it's more from external contamination rather than from the fish itself. So, but how would um, fish, uh, how would plastic from outside the fish get into the fish? So, it doesn't necessarily get in. So, in case of sardines, we tested um, the muscles, so the flesh of the fish, with the skin on, because usually you leave the skin to grill it, for instance. Um, and so if you're using a plastic bag to transport a sardine, let's say, it's in close contact with the plastic and there's a transfer from the packaging material to the fish. And so that's how it end up, ends up in, in the edible portion. I can give you an example, for instance, in bottled water, they have been found uh, plastic particles in the water, but it's not coming from the source of the water, it's coming from the plastic bottle itself. So this can be the same situation here. That's so interesting because we tend to think of plastic as this, you know, really solid thing that doesn't break down. Um, yeah. They're saying that, you know, it really does transfer to things. Yeah, I mean, it breaks down. Um, that's the current problem nowadays. So it breaks down into smaller and smaller pieces until it gets to the nano size fraction. Um, but it doesn't degrade. So that is the real issue. Um, but yeah, it breaks down. So if you're in the case of the plastic bag, for instance, it's just a matter of shaking the bag a little bit and you're releasing particles or opening by opening the plastic bottle, just the movement of opening it, you're releasing particles to the, to the water. So um, yeah, it's possible to happen. So you looked, your study looked at things like sardines, oysters, uh, prawns. Does this mean the sardines that I buy at the supermarket, uh, whether they're fresh or in a can, they probably have plastic in them? So I would say for now, they probably have plastic on them um, because I'm not sure where is it coming from. In, in, in tin sardines, it's different. So it's probably due to the fact that they are in a, in a tin can. Um, in fresh sardines, uh, I would say they're... There might be plastic on it because of airborne contaminations and other sources of contamination. Polyvinyl chloride, polyethylene, polystyrene, polypropylene. I mean, these are all the things that we use like all the time for packaging, aren't they? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So these are, we selected these five 
uh, because the current method only allows us to quantify these five polymers. But yes, yeah, so besides um, they are the, the most common that we can find in the marine environment nowadays in terms of plastic pollution, and they're also the most common in terms of packaging materials that we use in our everyday life. All right, so there's a lot of, um, I think, public concern about plastics, and you're saying that, you know, we don't really know what microplastics do, particularly to people. Why are people so concerned about them? I think people are concerned because they don't know. Um, because uh, it's something that is just starting to, um, to spread, like the message is starting now to be on the news. And I think people are concerned because of that. But more importantly than plastic is the additives and the chemicals associated with this plastic. Uh, that we don't know yet about the possible effects that it might have. So I think because it's a gray area at the moment, that's why the general public and the scientific community is concerned about this. Uh, but hopefully in the future, we'll have an answer for that. Yeah, can you just talk us through that relationship between microplastics and other chemicals? Yeah, um, so when you produce a plastic, usually include what we call additives on it to give some flexibility or durability to the plastic. And then once in the environment that plastic um, is degraded, it breaks down and it starts to leach out the additive to the environment and consequently to other marine species, for instance. And uh, some studies have start, start, are starting to show that it actually um, causes some negative effects to these marine species. And so it might be possible that these additives are leaching out as well um, in humans, for instance, and it might or, or maybe not cause, cause any effect. Uh, but there are also other chemicals that can attach to the plastic um, in the environment, um, like personal care products or pharmaceuticals. Um, and at this moment, we don't know if that will have an impact in terms of leaching out for, from the plastic and uh, causing an effect in our body. Mm. So it's really too early to say if plastic is harmful to people, but we should still be trying to reduce our plastic use, shouldn't we? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So that's the real problem uh, nowadays, is the, the amount of plastic that we use every day that is not necessary, or uh, it's just single-use plastic. So everything that we can do to avoid the use of that single-use, so I'm talking about plastic bags, plastic uh, containers, like uh, plastic cups, for instance, or every time we buy a coffee, instead of taking a coffee cup, just buy your own and keep it for many, many years. The plastic bottles, um, now with COVID, the face masks, the non-reusable ones. So I think everything we can do to avoid single-use plastics will be a great improvement. That was Francisca Ribeiro, a PhD candidate at the University of Queensland. Stay with us because after the break, we're going to be talking to the founder of the movement, Plastic Free July. But first, here's a song. This is TK Meitzer with You Sad. You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR. You're so sad. 
feel Cause it won't end up going your way I've been fooled once But I won't be fooled again My COD told me we don't match today So I've been ducking your butt And I friend, catch me if you can Quite frankly, I think that you'll thank me for this When you understand So tough in your daydreams Please don't overdose on Fourth time and you overdo on your bill We can't dwell on our old ways uh-uh. But you're holding on, you're holding on It's overdone, sober up, yeah See the bullets you sweat We can't dwell on, we can't go on So tough in your daydreams Please don't overdose on Colors in your brain But here we are again and that was TK Meiser with You Sad. Before the break, we heard a lot about the problem of microplastics, but now we're going to talk about some of the solutions. Ten years ago, Rebecca Prince-Ruiz founded the movement Plastic Free July, and it's truly gone global. Last year, 250 million people in 177 countries pledged to give up plastic for the month. Rebecca's just written a book with the writer Joanna Atherfold Finn called Plastic Free the inspiring story of a global environmental movement and why it matters. This year, Plastic Free July has of course been quite different. So I caught up with Rebecca and Joe to find out how it's going. So Rebecca, I wanted to start with you and ask, um, so 250 million people last year, uh, nearly 200 countries. How has the most recent Plastic Free July gone? Yeah, so the most recent Plastic Free July, James, it was our 10th year and it was certainly not the celebration that we were expecting. It has certainly been challenges and I think now more than ever, the differences between different countries, you know, different states, different towns even about what people are and aren't allowed to do have never been more, more apparent. In some countries, people aren't able to use reusable shopping bags, for example. So there's been a lot of differences, but I guess what I've been really heartened to see is how much, like despite all of the challenges that there are in the world, that people still 
have wanted to participate and make a difference and people of course at the moment human health is paramount but people have still engaged in plastic free july done what they can where they are because at the end of the day no one's okay with litter and we all want to live in a clean environment joe in the book um you mentioned that your family started doing plastic free july uh, in 2018 after a container spill on the east coast can you just tell us about that yeah sure um so the container spill was in our local area um, and my husband was actually engaged to assist with a cleanup. Um, so he's a commercial diver, but he's used to diving for seafood. Um, and on this occasion, he was actually diving for plastic um, to retrieve some of the plastic that had fallen off those shipping containers. And at the same time, um, I was getting quite frustrated with the amount of plastic that I was finding in the local, local shopping centres. Um, there were promotions where there were plastic giveaways for kids. Um, and I just thought, you know, I, like everyone, I think there's a, a moment or a couple of moments that converge to make you think now's the time to be a little bit more aware and to do a little bit more. Um, and so, yeah, Plastic Free July was the perfect opportunity for our family to try and do what we could to reduce our plastic waste. And once you start it, you actually realise that it's, it's, it's not that easy. Um, you know, it's quite challenging, but it's also very rewarding when you find alternatives to plastic and come up with solutions. So that was my, yeah, my first introduction to Plastic Free July and I didn't actually know Rebecca at that stage. And where, where are you at now? I mean, in the book, you write about people who start with a plastic free July and, you know, expand to more like a year. How, how's your journey towards plastic free going? Yeah, so we've continued um, to implement quite a few of those changes that we commenced with in 2018. Um, things like um, not using tea bags, for example, and, you know, always taking re re reusable bottles when we go somewhere, taking our reusable bags, uh, trying to reduce the amount of plastic on food goods and finding alternatives. So going to local markets, for example, instead of the supermarket for fruit and vegetables, growing the veggie patch um, and just doing as much as we can and trying to add, add um, different things bit by bit. So we're, we're far from perfect, but we're an awful lot better than we were, you know, say 2017. So I want to ask you both really about the situation that we're in with COVID. Um, we're seeing, you know, cafes not accepting keep cups, more eating out. I mean, plastic bag manufacturers have even seized this as an opportunity to lobby to overturn bag bans. How, what do you make of this? How do we weigh up this you know, health uh, versus reducing plastic debate? It's a really good question, James. I think the, I, I, look, I think to start with, it's not necessarily, you know, health versus using plastic. It's, we need to listen to the science on this. And, you know, the science and the scientists are telling us that the most important things that we can do is good hand hygiene, social distancing, wearing our masks, staying home, like that is what is going to keep us safe. And 
um, from the, we ended up, because we just finished writing the book as the pandemic started, we ended up doing a bit of a postscript of the book in the book and we interviewed um, an infectious diseases expert and she was really quick to stress to us that you know this is a respiratory virus it's not a gastrointestinal virus so we can't actually get it through ingestion so I think that yes whilst it is certainly frustrating that we can't um, always you know keep some of our good habits up like taking a, a reusable cup to, to a cafe for example um you know we also need to be mindful probably the biggest risk is actually going to that cafe in the first place um can we make it at home i really understand it's important to support local businesses particularly at the moment so you know maybe we um we did get that takeaway coffee but maybe we can say no lid um so that we're really about focusing on what we can do not what we can't and the evidence like from our own csro also says you know you can't get it through ingestion so with fruit and veg just um take it home wash it before you prepare it wash your hands really well and to be honest james these are all things that we should be doing for good hygiene whether we're in a pandemic or not so for plastic free july this year we've again like we always do actually, just focused on what people can do and giving people lots of ideas for reducing food waste in their homes, um, which also saves money and saves trips to the supermarket. We throw out 40% of the food we grow in this country, which is just, just outrageous. I think there's still, despite all of the things we can't do, there's still plenty that we can do and that's the position that, that we've taken. Um, Joe, do you want to talk about your your reusable masks and the local cottage industry? Uh, yeah. yeah, well, um, with with masks, so in our area now, probably about fifty percent of people are wearing masks. Um, and my uh, mother-in-law has just started producing three-layer cotton masks um, in her home. So there's been, you know, a demand for things like that just within the local community. And that's been one way where we can provide something that can be obviously washed and used again and still support people um, rather than necessarily buying those disposable ones. So, yeah, the pandemic has certainly introduced quite a few challenges, but it's also introduced um, some opportunities, I suppose, for ways that we can do things differently. I just want to pick on something that you mentioned just then, Rebecca, in that, you know, why are we going to a cafe? Why are we, why are we making it at home? Um, even though, you know, this might be a time when we need to support local businesses. And it struck me throughout the book that, you know, plastic really is about, reducing plastic is really about changing our lifestyles. And some of the changes are more slower, more local living. I think that one of the thing, I guess one of the big benefits that I've noticed in my own life, and this is common feedback we get from uh, our participants in Plastic Free July is that plastic is symptomatic of, of, of so much else. So when you start to reduce your plastic, try and avoid single-use plastic packaging on your food, for example, then you're automatically switching uh, away from just that convenience, not even thinking about where things come from, buying stuff that's heavily packaged in plastic that's got lots of food miles, for example, and just questioning, you know, do we need to be buying um, 
nectarines or grapes that are grown in Mexico in winter and instead, and that they're packaged in plastic, instead let's buy, you know, mandarins that are grown, you know, 20, 20 miles down the road. And so I think what I've learned and what a lot of people tell us is that by trying to reduce their plastic, they've become much more connected with their food and more connected with their with their local communities and they're also eating um, healthier as well and learning new skills. So rather than buying heavily processed food that's packaged in plastic, it's got lots of preservatives, often has palm oil in, to be honest, not that good for us. People are starting to learn to make things from, from scratch and, and supporting local growers. So for me, my, my vision is that we are, that we become more connected with our food. We support our local growers, our local farmers who you know, need our support more than, more than ever and that we have a, a much healthier supply chain. And I know that, you know, one of the things that, that we wrote about in the last chapter of the book was me kind of taking this, this research trip on, on you know, where, why is this Himalayan, it was a, a single-use disposable Himalayan salt grinder made out of two types of plastic. The salt had come from Pakistan, the thing was packaged in South Africa and then shipped to Australia. And it really made me question, you know, where am I spending... Where am I spending my money? What am I supporting? I didn't know the conditions of those workers there. And that led me to connect with, you know, I'm from, from Western Australia and I live in Fremantle and there was 450 kilometres away. There's a local family that has third generation um, salt harvesters from a lake there. And now I just get my salt from a local bulk food store from then. And, you know, for me that, you know, obviously we're not anti-plastic. There's some really good uses for it, you know, none so much as our medical systems, but also I think it's actually enabled us to set up this whole global food system that has so many costs in terms of waste, in terms of people being exploited and in terms of, um, you know, in terms of its carbon and its water footprint that, I think there's a lot to be said for being more localised and living um, more in connection with our communities. And to me, that's that, that vision of being less wasteful of supporting local communities is really at the heart of, I think, where starting to reduce our dependence on plastics can lead us. Joe, have you noticed uh, changes for the better in your lifestyle as a byproducts of reducing plastic? Yeah, definitely. And probably reinforcing what Rebecca mentioned there about, um, you know, convenience, it usually equates to a lot of packaging. And so not, not even so much looking at reducing plastic, but just naturally making more things from home during the pandemic. Um, I noticed the subsequent massive reduction of um, plastic use in what we were purchasing so you know it's it's quite difficult to send kids off to school with so many different options that are usually packaged in plastic but we were doing a lot more home baking for example and um, that just naturally led to a reduction in plastic waste 
So I think with the pandemic, um, certain changes have just come along quite organically that have in fact, um, you know, changed the way we live for the better and changed our habits for the better. Um, and also, yeah, fresh fruit and vegetables and things like that. I've sort of been avoiding the major supermarkets just because they tend to get quite crowded. And so by shopping at a local um, market stall, you can avoid that, but you're also avoiding all that extra packaging that isn't necessary. And you know, you're getting food that's been produced locally and it's in season. So it hasn't got all those additional negatives to it. That was Rebecca Prince-Ruiz and Joanna Atherfold-Finn talking about their new book, Plastic Free, the inspiring story of a global environmental movement and why it matters, which you can buy at your local bookstore and online. You've been listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio. To catch up on this show and on others, go to our website, www.3cr.org.au forward slash Radio Blue, and follow our Facebook page, Out of the Blue Radio, for updates. We'll see you next week and stay well. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.